0: Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This week's study begins an interesting time in the Scriptures. If you compare this with the other Gospels, uh, you would see like even Matthew, by, by the 12th chapter in Matthew, he's still in the first year of uh, Jesus' ministry. And this week with John, we began, you know, in the 12th chapter, literally Passion Week. And you know, as, as most churches do, they cover Passion Week around the, the time of Easter, which is, you know, expected and, and good to do. Uh, for us, we, as we teach through the scriptures, uh, we hit it when we hit it. And as we're going through the book of John. So we're actually covering it now. We'll still be in John around Easter, so it'll be a good time. But this is the, such importance is put on the, the last week of Jesus' ministry by John. And it's a really cool thing. Um, so as we get a picture of, uh, of, in chapter 12, is Jerusalem is beyond capacity. I mean, we're talking way beyond capacity. I don't know if you've ever been in a city. My wife and I, we happened to be in uh, Africa at one point in, uh, in Luanda, with an L. Not Rwanda, but Luanda, Angola. And the city was built for like 500,000 people and had somewhere between 3 and 5 million people in it. They couldn't even count uh, because the Civil War was going on. And, and all the kids that were young, they literally put on trains and shipped to the city so people just mingling everywhere at all times of night this is kind of how jerusalem was during these celebration times during the like passover and and uh, you know the feast of the tabernacles and other feasts that were going on everybody wanted to be in the place to worship uh worship god near the temple and so it's just overly you know way beyond capacity and the Jews were gathering for Passover, and there was probably about two million of them. In fact, you go back and you read other history outside of the Bible, and f- come to find out they literally chartered certain books, ev- uh, certain books, certain boats every time uh, you know Passover came. There was boats coming from all over the known world at that time, the Mediterranean. So literally, they were chartering boats to come to um, to come to Israel to be able to bring people there. So it's really a, a neat time. And in the middle of all this, there's a warrant out for Jesus' arrest. He's been causing too many, too many issues. Uh, you know, so much trouble in the views of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they actually put out a warrant for his arrest at this time. They didn't want him to, to really disrupt anything any longer. Uh, so Jesus had been waiting for the perfect time to re enter uh, Jerusalem, to, to come back to this area. And the, and the Father and, and him are one, and, and this was the time for him to come back. So in John 12, he comes down from Bethany. And, and last week, we, we talked about Bethany as where, where Lazarus was raised from the dead. Uh, and, you know, and, and he's just two miles from Jerusalem, a very a very familiar place and a familiar territory for him. In fact, uh, they're in a house, uh, you know, Simon the leper, that was healed by, by Christ. And he's uh, you know, letting them use his house. And, and you know, this is Jesus eating a meal two miles from his enemies. I don't know if you remember reading the scriptures, if if you read uh, anything from David, and, you know, he, he writes, he prepares a meal for me in the presence of my enemies. This is two miles from where the enemies are for Christ. And they're at this dinner, at this private home, and this is where we pick up today in chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrives at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, of course, because that's Martha, while Lazarus was among those reclining with him at the table. John tells us that Martha served, and, and, uh, you know, John really, he kind of had a knack for watching what was going on, kind of, you know, just, for some reason, he's one of these guys that sat back and just kind of watched what was going on, and he noticed this, and he put it in there. And I'm sure it was one of the the best prepared and the tastiest meals that she'd ever done. Why do I say that? Jesus literally raised her brother from the dead. She is going to honor him with the best of the best. She's going to find the freshest ingredients, the best things to serve him. You kind of get the feeling, as Martha was a a really uh, good servant, that she really knew how to cook. We kind of get that idea that she enjoyed cooking, enjoyed serving. And this meal at Simon the leper's house, you know, she could have said, you know, she could have said, hey, have somebody else serve. Have somebody else do all the cooking. But she stepped up because she was willing to do this. So this house was full of, of these great smells of good meal. I don't know, you know, you go home for the holidays or go over to the parents' house, you know, that meal where you go, oh, man, it just reminds you, oh, this smells good. This is one of those times where the house was just, you know, filled with this great smell. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, Martha's gift was taking care of people. And she is at her best when she is serving. And You know, you know have, you, have you had enough? Well, let, let me get you a little bit more. We don't get the sense that uh, we got from Luke earlier where, where Martha was, uh, was not as mature as she is now. In fact, in Luke um, 10, it says, Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. Come on, get her off her high limb Get her up. I need some help. Maybe you can talk to her about this habit. And believe me, she's had this habit all her life, Lord. Maybe you can address that right now. Maybe she can give me just a few minutes helping me in the kitchen. And you get the sense that, that that Martha enjoyed the serving but cannot understand why somebody else would not have that same joy in their life in the gift that, that she has. She wasn't mature in her gifting yet. She you know, she she she's looking at Mary going, She shouldn't be sitting. So if you're a Martha or married to a Martha, someone who uh, you cannot really relax around because they're always doing something. You know, the, the type of person that comes along and says, okay, we have, we have all these jobs. Who's going to do this? Okay, you get the potatoes, you start peeling the potatoes. Okay, hey, 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 don't walk away. i got a job for you too. You know, you kind of get that sense that this is who she, are, who she is, you know, just assigning work for others, assuming that, that we all like to be busy like her. Do you know anybody like this? Maybe you're like this. Well, if you are, i got lots of projects at my house. If you want to come over, you're welcome to. But now, there's really no hint of this in Martha's life. She's a changed woman. She's a worker bee that we all loved, and we love those worker bees. Because if we didn't have the worker bees, nothing would get, really get done, would it? No, we're thankful for those in life and, and, and in the home and in the church. They're the ones that get the job done. Everybody else is sitting and, and worshiping Jesus. But this gifting, she has kind of got to a point where she has matured in this because it was so irritating early on because no one else was doing anything. But when the gifting matures, it's a beautiful thing. The attitude of everyone else should be, you, you know, the, this kind of this attitude that everybody else should be doing what I'm doing kind of goes away because it becomes worship. It's like a fr- sweet fragrance. It's pleasing to the Lord. Jesus was glad to be back in Bethany. It was a great place for him. He'd been out in the desert. I mean, he was out eating, you know, wilderness campfire food. And here he comes in, and Martha has prepared a great meal for him. It says here, that Mary took a pint of uh, pure nard, an expensive perfume. This alabaster jar is a kind of an example. And I put the dime up there just kind of, as we were talking earlier, uh, Jeff's like, you've you got to kind of give us a visual of how big this thing was. A lot of these things were we'll worn as is, is necklaces. And we're talking about a year's worth of wages in this little perfume bottle. I mean, this stuff was expensive stuff. And, and one on the left is a little more fancier. It actually had a, had a top that had some wax that sealed it in. The other one there on the right would be the one that, that you would actually literally break the top of and then use it. So a lot of times these would be used at burials and different, different times or different celebrations. So here Mary takes this and breaks it and, and, and uses this expensive perfume. And it says here that she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his hair with her hair. I mean, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. Well, if you're looking closely, you see that John kind of gives us two word pictures here. Uh, You know, those things where you can kind of really visualize it. Two sisters that love the Lord and doing things very differently. And through their maturity, they have learned that uh, it's okay to love the Lord differently. Martha is filling the house with great cooking smells. While Mary is filling this house with this beautiful perfume smell. At least for the ladies, they all think it's beautiful. The men are going, okay, these two smells, they're competing. I don't like this. Or at least that maybe it's just me. But during this evening, Mary just picked up on something. We don't know what it was. Well, I mean, we do because hindsight's twenty twenty. We get to read about it. But Mary's sitting there. She picked up on something that nobody else was picking up on and took this expensive perfume, broke the top, and poured it on his feet and worships him. The beautiful thing about this is what Mary doesn't do. Mary doesn't do what I kind of would do. Or what many of us would kind of do. Hey guys, can I have your, your attention here? Okay, everybody, woohoo! Quiet down here. Okay, I'm going to take this at very... It's like 300... I mean, this is like a year's wages. I'm going to break it off. I'm going to pour it on his feet. I'm going to wipe... You know. She doesn't bring attention to herself at all. Do you know how much this costs? She doesn't do that at all. She seems to not notice or care. The house is filling with this sweet fragrance. And the women instantly notice the smells... And then there's this guy named Judas. Verse 4, it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was poured into it. So he says, This is a waste, guys. This is not how we handle things. This is not good stewardship. This would never happen with me being in charge of that. I don't understand why she didn't give me that, because I could have put it to better use. And that better use for him was taking a little bit of cut out of it. We could have done great things for God, his excuse was. You you could almost see that, and you could go, Huh, you know, that argument's not a bad argument. We could do, that's a year's worth of wages. We could have done wonderful things with that. But he was doing it for the wrong motives. I don't understand something. Why would Jesus, I mean, he's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. You know, I mean, he's just, he knows everything. He's everywhere, you know, at all times. Why did he choose Judas to be in charge of the money? I mean, if he knew that one was going to betray him, and he actually knew who that one was, why would he choose Judas? I mean, why wouldn't he choose Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. At least he could count. He knew what to do with money. It's interesting. I think he almost like saved Matthew from having this temptation. But Judas, he, he just couldn't be saved. He probably, you know, wanted that job. He probably, you know, kept going, well, well who needs to, I'll be in charge. You know, if you don't have anybody in charge of that, I'll do that. And you're almost kind of weary when somebody pushes too hard. Well, yeah, I'll just do that. And you're like, whoa, whoa I don't even know you yet. You've only been here one time at church. I <laughs> mean, I'm not going to put you in charge of a whole ministry when I don't even know who you are. Let us, you know, build that relationship. Let's put it, you know, build that friendship, and then I can see, you know, who you are, the totality of your life. But for some reason, it amazes me how sometimes the Lord allows this to happen. But Lord, that person, Jesus. I need to draw your attention to stuff about them. I mean, you appointed Jesus. I know, uh, Judas. I I know you created the world and everything, but there's something here I think you're missing. You got the wrong guy. And the Lord is like, eh, it's just money. He owns it all anyway. Judas just can't stand it. And he judges the situation. But in reality, he just can't stand the fact that there's that much money that's not under his control. You see, according to his opinion, Mary has just wasted about a year's pay for a common laborer. And two things are really happening here. One, he views it as a waste. We get that. But two, he views that Jesus is not worth 300 denarii. He's not worth a year's worth of wages. He actually priced Jesus at about a 30, you know, pieces of silver. You see, you get the correlation? But Mary doesn't even respond to him. She's caught up in a worship and and, and the Lord says, leave her alone. I mean, leave her alone. You know what? If God is telling you to worship him, don't defend yourself. Just worship. Just do it. Let Jesus tell them to leave you alone. You don't have to defend your position when you're worshiping the Lord. One of the reasons I think that so many people feel so far away from God is that they haven't really been sitting at Jesus' Jesus' feet lately. Have you been sitting at Jesus' feet? Have you been ready to worship him? Have you been ready to give a year's worth of wages over to him? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not asking you to to tithe the church. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying, are you willing to really worship the Lord? I wish there was a pill, don't you? Just slip it in your coffee or your morning donut or whatever you eat for breakfast, and the pill just automatically makes sure you worship the Lord. I mean, that would be so easy, but it's not like that. It's a choice. There's no substitute for sitting at Jesus' feet, there's no other way to connect to the heart of Christ. You know, the fascinating thing is that somehow Mary is really tuned in to Jesus at this point. There's a party going on. Have you noticed this, uh, notice this, that every time there's a, you know, everybody's having a great time and, uh, you know, everybody's like, Martha, these hors d'oeuvres are wonderful. Where do, Can I get this recipe? You know, how did you cook these? All the, you know, all the stuff that's going on at a party. And Mary, she's picking up on something's different about Jesus at this point. She's like, what is it, Lord? She's longing. She's going, I, I'm trying to connect with you. I, you know, what is going on here? You've got to remember, they're at the beginning of you know Passion Week, what we call the, the week before Christ's death. They're at the beginning of this, and Mary is picking up on something that's different. It's almost like she's kind of taking that quick breath in, kind of like she's just now realizing something. Grabs this bottle, breaks it open, and anoints his feet. Leave her alone. She did this to prepare for my burial. Well, that'll bring a party to a halt, won't it? Disciples keep looking at each other. He keeps talking about dying. I, I don't get it. We need to get him into to some type of counseling. And any normal person that talked about death as much as this, definitely, let's get him into counseling. Let's, you know, there, There's some issues going on there. But Jesus is not normal. He is God, and he's, he's prophesying about what's going to happen to him. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you. But you will not always have me. Mary's heart is so in tune with Jesus right there. Have you ever seen a, a tuning fork, a, you know, to to you know a tuning fork that the tunes a piano? Well, what happens? You go over and, and they they uh, take the tuning fork and they hit the fork and it goes, hmm. Okay, don't I I can't sing, so just imagine that was a middle C, okay? And then they hit the middle C on the piano, and it goes, uh what do they do? Do they take the tuning fork and start, like, mashing away at or take a really sharp knife and start trying to tune the fork to the piano? No. They take the piano and change the piano to go to the tuning fork. Christ is our tuning fork. How did Mary get so in tune with Jesus at this point? By sitting at his feet. Did you know that almost every time that Mary is mentioned in every gospel, where is she at Every time she's at his feet. And this particular Mary, and there, there's others, so don't always get them mixed up, but this Mary is always at his feet, always there. And this is quite interesting for the other disciples but, because, you know, other rabbis would have never allowed this, especially in Israel. You, you just that, That's not going to... In fact, in many parts of the world at this time, that would never be allowed. Not in the first century. No way a woman would be allowed to sit at a man's feet and learn. But Jesus came to release women, and this is one of the things that he does to allow women to sit right there beside the men and learn, to be taught, to be shown respect, to say, you can learn, you can learn all about me, you can learn all about your Lord. Don't let anybody stop you from that. And it was Jesus showing respect to not only Mary, but to women in general. And then when somebody questions her actions... Leave her alone, he says. She understands it. So I have to ask this question How hard could it be to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn? How hard could it be? Well, let me tell you (laughs) it's hard. It's hard sometimes. It's hard to get in, into that Word. It's hard to pull open that Bible because our minds, as soon as we wake up, and sometimes even before we wake up, they're already going. They're already thinking of all the different things we have to do during the day. I mean, i got a list of 20 million things that I need to do. And that's in there somewhere. It is so hard. And as soon as I get that list done, man, I'm done. i got a. I got a list that's six months long. And, and when I get that list done, I'm going to take a two-week vacation. I've already planned out the vacation. I will wear myself out on the vacation because I plan out stuff because that's my personality. And then when I get back from vacation, I'll need a vacation from my vacation. But instead, what do I do? As soon as I get back home, I start working on a new list. That's our personalities, that's the human personality. And the Lord says, How about you just set up my feet? How about you accomplish nothing for the next 45 minutes or maybe even five minutes, wherever it needs to be, just just start it out. How about you just stay in tune with what I'm saying to you about who I am, about what I'm feeling, the heart of who I am, the heart of worship, where it's all about Jesus, all about Jesus. The scriptures say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom. His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Sit at Jesus' feet. He goes on, and or Jesus also says to, to Martha and Luke, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What do you think heaven's going to be like? Do you think it's gonna be like lots of projects? Okay, I got my Blackberry, I got my you know, iPhone, I got everything you know planned out. Commuting? No, 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 I'm sorry, commuting that's hell. Mary, you know, Mary's gonna be very comfortable in heaven. And for some of us, it'll take a few thousand years for us to get used to it. Why? Because we'll all be at Jesus' feet. And it'll take some time to probably get used to for some of us. But do you know how to get a a taste of what heaven will be like? Just sit still. Let go of the the hurt. Give up that hurt. Give up that pain. Just sit at his feet. So I have to ask, am I a Martha or am I a Mary? I asked that to the Lord and he kind of laughed at me. And he goes, Alan, you're you're nothing like Mary. (laughs) Well, actually, Alan, you're a little bit of both. And one kind kind of wins out certain times, and the other kind of wins out at other times, and you go back and forth, and that's kind of how our lives are. And I try to allow Jesus to, to balance me on that end. Sometimes I get in the way, unfortunately. But I try. That, that's our old goal. We're in, this, we're in this walk together. We're on this path together. We try. And that's a beautiful thing when we do. Verse 9, it goes on and says, Meanwhile... A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for uh, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. You know, poor Lazarus, he's he's been raised from the dead, so they're going to kill him now. I mean, that's hilarious to me. Like... You know, like they, like Jesus couldn't raise him from a dead, you know, from the dead again? Well, actually, he's going to in the end times. Lazarus is going to be there, raised from the dead. Like he asked for it. I mean, he's in Abraham's bosom, probably talking to somebody like Elijah or somebody else cool that's like that. And all of a sudden, he's coming back. And now there's a price on his head. Well, why? People don't like it now that, you know, because all that God has done in his life, and he's out there telling people, I mean, would you kind of shut up about that? Would you be like, well, uh, yeah, I really don't want to talk about it. Well, Lazarus, you know, telling the story. No, no, I really don't want to. No, you're out there going, I was dead. I mean, they had me wrapped out of all. I walked out of the tomb like a mummy. I was all wrapped up. I mean, you would be out there telling the story. And he was. You can't keep quiet about something like that. What is he supposed to do? He's the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. Yes, yes, I'll talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't want to offend people. I mean, come on. The next day, the the great crowd that that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a, a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, Jesus was coming over the Mount of Olives, and it was pretty obvious to him what they were expecting. They were expecting, you know, the waving palm branches and, and all this stuff. In fact, here's a picture of, of the Mount of Olives as they come over. And, and uh, you know, now it's covered by all graves on one side. But Jesus, this is the, the the same picture that Jesus would have seen. Now, you know, take out some of the modern stuff, the golden dome on top, and put the, the temple there and some other things. But this would be the, the walk that Jesus, as he came over the Mount of Olives, he would have looked down upon what he called, the you know, the city of David, the city of peace, Jerusalem. And they're waving palm branches. And this was a symbol of, of Jewish you know, national sovereignty. The palm branches would have been huge. And, and you know, at the time of the Maccabean, Maccabeans, like, yeah, what, three or four hundred years or maybe a couple hundred years before Christ, there was a huge revolt against the conquering invaders. And the Maccabeans, the Jews, pushed out everybody else, and, and they had self-rule there for a while. And Israel actually took back their temple and they rededicated it. And the palm branches came to be a symbol of their liberty, of their their national sovereignty. So from that point on, I mean, palm branches were the, the thing. You know, it's like our American flag in a sense. So what are they saying to Jesus? They're saying, you represent who we are as a nation. Get in there, take over, and we will follow you. Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is the King of Israel. You are the King of Israel, not Caesar. That's what they're saying here at this point. In other scriptures, people were telling Jesus, you know, tell, tell those guys to shut up. You know, we don't want to start this up. And what does he say? If they don't cry out, the stones will cry out. And what is all over Jerusalem? Stones. You go over there, they're like, please, take all the stones you want. We have too many stones in this country. I'm not joking. They, they tell you that. You know, everybody wants to take home a memento. They're like, take the rocks. We don't need the rocks. There's too many of them. What they're expecting is the Daniel chapter 7 or, or chapter 9 type of Messiah. But this is not yet uh, that yet. This is not the, the second coming. What does he do? He goes and finds the, you know, the colt of a donkey. Now, a colt of a donkey is really small. So if Jesus would have been, you know, more than five foot five, he would have been riding his donkey, and he would have had to kind of hike his legs up a little bit, because the donkey would have been too short for him to ride on. Well, yeah, that's a warrior conquering king coming into town, right? Riding on the, oh, the little donkey? Well, why did Jesus do this? He was fulfilling prophecy. Zechariah had written 500 years earlier. The Messiah would come into Jerusalem, riding on a colt of of a donkey. In fact, Zechariah 9.9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of donkey. So if anybody in Jerusalem would at this point say, Hey, do you think Jesus is the Messiah? And if they knew the word, what would they say? They would say, Well, how did he enter the city? Did he walk? Did he, did he come running in? You know, did he come in like a big general on a big old white, you know, stallion of a horse carrying a sword? Did men carry him in? No, he came in on a colt of a donkey. Well, then he might very well be the Messiah. And the Old Testament is full of, you know, over 300 types of prophecies that Jesus came to fulfill. And these are all 300 of them. They're very specific things. We're not talking about three. We're not talking about 30. We're talking 300 of them. If there's one guy who fulfills all these prophecies, he is the one. What are the odds of, of predicting 500 years ago that Jesus would come in riding on a colt of a donkey? now what about a thousand years What about two thousand years all three hundred of these prophecies have been met all except for the couple at the very you know that the deal with the end times now when you make calculations on odds there's this thing called the law of compounding probability you've studied that right okay neither have I but it makes sense once it's explained to you the law of compounding probability means that the you know, uh, more probability I place or compound onto a prediction, the least likely it is to happen. So if I were to say one day there's going to be an earthquake in this world, hey, that's a pretty good prediction. I think we can all say that, and that would be you know, 100% correct. Okay? But if I would say, okay, we would have an earthquake in California today. Okay, well, that's probably still 100% because there's dozens of little minor earthquakes every day in California. I'd still be right. But what if I said in San Francisco? Okay, well, if you read, I mean, I lived up in that area for a while, and yeah, there's earthquakes every day, little minor ones. Okay, good. This year, right, okay. But what if I were to say, okay, it would be a magnitude 8.3? Well, okay, well, I don't know about that. What if I said, okay, on January 18th at 4.22 a.m.? How about on the Hayward Fault Line? You see, once you compound that, once you build upon those predictions, they get further and further out. You're sitting there going, I don't know. The more I add, the less likely, the, you know, are the, are the greater the odds. Now, what if I added another 293 predictions to this? What would the odds be to that? Well, they're astronomical. There's not a man in history who has fulfilled even 30 of these besides Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled all 300 of them. There's a guy named Peter Stoner who wrote a book. And he said, let's see what the probability of of this would be. For a guy to meet not 300, not 30, but just 8 of these prophecies. And these are the ones that he picked. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Proceeded with a me- uh, with a messenger like Elijah. Has to ride a donkey or ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, betrayed by a friend for exactly thirty pieces of silver. The silver has to be thrown down and used to buy a potter's field. The Messiah has to be falsely accused, but he has to stand silent. And they're going to crucify him. So he took those eight things, eight different prophecies from the Old Testament scripture. What do you think of the probability uh, that would be? Mathematically, he figured it out. Don't ask me how. If you're a mathematician or if you're smart enough like, you know, like say Mark Richman, he would understand, but not many others. It came out to be 1 times 10 to the 17th power. Now, folks, that's a lot of zeros. That's a ton of zeros. So the author, you know, said rightly... You know, you probably don't get the idea of what 1 times times 10 to the 17th power is. So let's illustrate this. Let's build a huge wall around Texas. Now, being from Texas, I can understand why people would want to build a wall around it. Then let's take 1 uh, 1, 1 times 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars, and let's mark one of them with an X. Now, let's fill up Texas with silver dollars. It would come out to be two foot deep. Now let's take a guy, put him on a plane, give him a parachute, because you want him to live, have him jump out the plane, and wherever he lands, have him bend down and pick up one silver dollar. And that silver dollar should have the X on it. That's what kind of probability we're talking about here. Now this is why it does not take a lot of faith to believe in Jesus. If he could fulfill just eight of these, wow! Now imagine 300 of them. But the faith, you know, but faith really is can he save me? That's the ultimate thing. That's the ultimate question. Can he save me? It is very logical if you think that he can fulfill all three of the 300 of the, the scriptures, that he is the guy. Now go back in your mind to the point where I said he was coming over the, the Mount of Olives and everybody's waving palm branches and, and celebrating and, and Jesus is riding a, this colt and what is he doing? The scriptures talk about him weeping. And disciples are, are really confused. Every time they're, they're partying, he's crying. And every time they're crying, he's the one that's happy. They don't get him always. How come we just can't get on the same page with him? And those that were close to him would have heard him say, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how have I longed for you? If only you had known that this was the day of your salvation. Now what is Jesus crying about? They did not even recognize the Messiah that was coming into the city of peace, coming toward his temple that they worshiped. They did not even recognize him. But there's something that's, you know, even beyond that. This actual day was predicted by Daniel hundreds of years back. This actual day. In Daniel 9 in the first reign of Xerxes' of, uh, son, for those that studied Esther, Daniel, you know, said, after the, uh, said this, After I die... We will get a, we will come out of captivity. The king will release us, and we'll come out of activity, and there will be a ruler who will let the people go back and rebuild the temple. That day, he sends them back to start rebuilding the temple. The clock starts ticking. Because he says there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. Now I know this is kind of weird, but stay with me here. It sounds odd. So in other words, 69 sevens of a total of 483 somethings. At the end of that 483 somethings, the Messiah will appear. And sure enough, Artaxerxes, who reigned after Daniel's death, let the people you know, build their temple, and he appointed Nehemiah to go do it. And the day that he appointed him to go do it was March fourteenth, four 445 B.C. And that day, Daniel's clock starts ticking. So... On that day, 483-somethings starts. We figured it out that the 483 are are Babylonian years, which is 360 days a year. Not like ours, 365, but 360. And if you're a genius, you figure this out. Or if you have a calculator, you know. Okay, so what's 483 times 360? It comes out to be 173,800 days. So if you start on March 14th, 445 B.C. and you add all that together, what do you end up with? March 6, A.D. 32. Somewhere around the time of the beginning of Passion Week. We're talking about Jesus is standing on the top of the Mount of Olives on the day that Daniel said that he would. When you wake up on this day, he says, expect the Messiah to reveal himself. And because they were hard-headed... Because they got into all these things that were, were all more about religion than about a relationship with the Lord. It all started to, to, to come to a point where they didn't seek Him. So they were not expecting Him. And He wept. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem. How much have I longed for you? Now, I know that this you know, hindsight 2020 is, is great. It's easy for us to understand this sometimes, but 300 prophecies and they still could not see it. 300 of them. You know, this is just as bad as us today. Unfortunately, with all the biblical knowledge that we have sometimes today, we can't figure out whether we want to follow Jesus or not sometimes. It says here in verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only Jesus was glorified, did they? Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him? You know, this is why it's so important for us to understand the Word of God. So we can expect Jesus, when He comes back, what we call the second coming. The Bible says that he is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives. And the fascinating thing about this is, when he does that, the world still will not be expecting his return. That just amazes me. Even though the scriptures say that Jesus is coming back, even though there's all this biblical prophecy that's been fulfilled, Jesus could come back at any time. And we're going to be surprised by his rapture. You know, it's one thing to Leave this in your head. It's another thing for it to actually happen in a twinkling of an eye. It would be so quick. Oh, I didn't prepare. I didn't prepare myself. Are you expecting that day? Are you prepared for that day? Are you his friend? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Will he say, I know you. Come with me and enter into my kingdom. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Will he say that? Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish and not expect his return. Don't be foolish and think, well, one day I'll be able to get to it. Don't be foolish and say, well, I- I'm just waiting. I'm-, I'm just seeing. I'm just, I'm just holding off. There's-, there's a few things that I need to do mentally. There's a few things that I do- need to do with my family. Don't be foolish and do that. Are you looking forward to his return? I am. Are you looking forward to it? We need to prepare ourselves. We need to sit at his feet more often. We need to go and be with Jesus. Because there's so many times when his heart is hurting because he's being ignored. He loves you guys. He loves you guys so much. He doesn't want you to ignore him. Because when you come to his feet, he has answers, he has comfort, he has love. He has all those beautiful things for you. And so often we don't receive them because we don't go to him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you today that there are those here that that for some reason that are just waiting. That you just make their lives miserable until they stop waiting. That you just intervene in their life to, to show them how much you love them. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit just works in our lives. I, I pray that you work in this church. I pray that you comfort those that need comfort, that you love those that need com- uh, loving, and that you laugh with those that could use a good laugh. Lord, we love you so much. We pray that when we come to your feet, you're, you're right there ready to, to you know, give us those, those answers that we need to be answered, that we learn more and more about you, so that on that day when you return, We would have expected you, Lord, that we not get caught unawares. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you in this this world that just really tires you out. This face will never turn from you. He will give you the strength to make it day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.